Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Eye on the Ball. I'm back once again with a new week, brand new week. Uh, I'm a lot more energetic this time around compared to last week. So we have a great show prepared. And it really is going to be an interesting show. This is the first week in quite some time without any NFL content. The NFL is actually over for the season. I can't believe it, y'all. I, I really cannot believe it. After that heartbreaking uh, Super Bowl, uh, heartbreaking if you're an Eagles fan anyway, <laughs> I, it's just hard to believe that the NFL season is over. This is perhaps the most I've ever gotten to the NFL, and part of that, a lot of that is because of this show, and it's been so much fun, y'all. It's been so much fun. I've enjoyed every second of it, and honestly, I can't wait for the next season to come back, but... But, 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 we have baseball. Baseball's back. Baseball is back. Teams have reported to their spring training camps. Games start this week. They start on Friday. And I'm so there for it. I'm so ready for this all to begin. We have the World Baseball Classic coming up here in a couple of weeks. Oh, I'm just so excited. I'm so excited for baseball to be back. It is perhaps the sport I love most of all, and being without it is just weird. I I hate the offseason, y'all. I I can't stand not having baseball, especially in that like December to February period before teams report to camps because really nothing happens. You know, by the time the second half of December rolls around and into January, Most of the big deals have been finalized. Most of the big free agent signings have been taken care of. A lot of trades have been taken care of. You might see a blockbuster deal here or there. You know, back when Manny Machado and Bryce Harper signed their big deals, that was very late on. That was into March, if I remember correctly. Um, So it's not all dead by that point, but... A lot of the time, it definitely seems to be, so I'm very glad that we have spring training back with us here. The season is going to kick off here in just about a month, about a month, and the regular season will be back. I can't believe it. I honestly, I'm, I'm so excited. I'm so excited, if you couldn't already tell, but before we get into the MLB, because I do have some stuff to talk about there today. I want to talk about the NBA All-Stars game, which took place on Sunday in Salt Lake City. And th- this was an interesting one. This, So, I'm not a huge NBA person. Honestly, I don't really follow it. I've said it here on the show before. I've said it on our other shows. I don't really follow the NBA. I've never really been able to. Um perhaps more in the future I'll, I'll try to but I don't know I don't know yet um but it's definitely one of those sports that I have little expertise in so when I saw the final score to this all-stars game I was absolutely in shock because team Giannis took down team LeBron 184 to 175 now now I knew that scoring in the NBA had gone sky high. And I had to look this up. I had to look this up to find out what the average score is for an NBA game. 
And according to what I found and what I saw by looking at a bunch of scores in in the NBA, it's right around 110 points, a little above. Sometimes you'll see a little below, but overall, you, you see a lot of teams scoring around 110 points a game. So when I saw 184 to 175, I was right. It was absolutely insane. And you can quickly find out why, even if you didn't watch the game. If you did watch it, you knew the issues going on with it all the way throughout from basically the very beginning. But even when you go back and watch the highlights and you see people's comments throughout the game and after the game, oh, you can quickly find out where the problem stems from. And that's just, there was no defensive game in this. No defense. Everyone was playing it safe. Everyone was playing it just to basically, you know, let everyone score. Basically, it was a scoring fest. It was like layup practice, essentially. It was shooting practice for these players. And mind you, these are the best players in the league that are taking part in this. It's not, you know, teams themselves. Best players in the league come in to play an all-star game where they really don't compete. They don't really take on any defensive role they basically just let each other walk right in and that's what it looked like that's honestly what this game looked like and a lot of people felt that a lot of people really saw this and even the coach that led the way for team lebron thought that this was one of the worst games of basketball he had ever witnessed Uh, Michael Malone, he is the coach for the Denver Nuggets, and again, he led this team, Team LeBron, in this All-Star game, and he said this. He said, quote, It's an honor to be here. It's an honor to be a part of a great weekend, great players. But that is the worst basketball game ever played. I don't know if you can fix it. I give Joel Embiid, Kyrie Irving, those guys were, like, competing. Joel was imploring some of the guys to play harder, to try and get some defense in. No one got hurt. They put on a show for the fans. But that is a tough game to sit through, I'm not going to lie, end quote. So, he came out and basically said it. Straight up, no beating around the bush. This was one of the worst basketball games he had ever seen. And that was really a common opinion. This was being said by fans alike and people on social media alike, critics alike, all going on online and saying both during and after the game that there are some major problems with the NBA All-Star game, that it's just either flat out terrible or just saying that it's completely lackluster, that people take it too safe, that the players are too safe with it all, and that overall, it's all just really disappointing. And I echo this. I echo this opinion. It's very disappointing to see this when you have players. Like, again, I'm no expert when it comes to the the NBA. I'm not really familiar with a lot of the players even. But I recognize a lot of the names. Even I know a lot of the names. Obviously, LeBron James. Like, everyone knows who he is. There's just, there's no way around that. Um, Kyrie Irving and I even knew like Jason Tatum and Giannis and you know I I know these names I've heard them before I know how big these players are how great these players are so to see a game in which some of the best players in the game right now are just kind of walking through it kind of sleepwalking their way through it tossing up easy points and not really putting any defensive work in it's disappointing and in a way I get it, okay? In a way, I understand because these players don't want to get injured 
for their teams. Some of them carry their teams quite heavily. And so if they get injured, which LeBron did, which I'll talk about here in just a second, but if they get injured, that can be a huge, huge blow for their team, especially with the playoffs coming up soon. But even so, we see all-star games in other sports where they go all out. MLB is a great example of this, okay? Take pitchers, for example, in the all-star game. They do not mess around. You know, yes, they typically only pitch about one to two innings each. So that takes some of the strain away and some of the danger away. But we know if if you're an MLB fan, you know how easily an injury can come, whether you're a pitcher, whether you're in the field, it doesn't matter. Pitchers especially get hurt all the time just from throwing one pitch that happened to tweak their arm the wrong way or strain something, and then all of a sudden they're out for the year. They're out for the year, and they go out in the middle of the season, right in the heart of summer, essentially, and go out and basically give it all they have. When you see pitchers in the All-Star game, You can hear them. You can see them just going all out. And it's such an exciting game. It just felt... I watched the highlights of the NBA All-Star game. And it just seemed so low energy. It seemed so lackluster. And this is, again, an opinion that is echoed by fans and critics of the sport and of the game alike. And a lot of people are calling for a change of some kind. Who knows what that change would look like, but there are a lot of people that do want to see a change to the NBA All-Star Game. And based on what I saw with this one, I I don't blame them. I really don't. I hope that eventually there, there can be a change to bring some of that energy back. Because I've... I've tuned in to some MLB games, or at least periods of them, back when I used to listen to the radio all the time, and there were... You know, there there was about twice the energy in that in those games. Twice the energy, twice the crowd noise, twice the effort. Overall, it was just disappointing. Really disappointing overall. And again, like I mentioned before, LeBron James did end up getting injured in this game. So a, a huge blow, especially for Lakers fans and the team itself. He ended up bending his wrist back when trying to block a shot during the game. So who knows how long he's going to be out for. We'll have to wait and see. Uh, Hopefully he will not have to miss a game or only miss a couple of games for the Lakers as they try to land a place in the playoffs here in the next couple of months. So overall, just this NBA All-Stars game was not fantastic, was not all that great. But now we move into the MLB. We're moving out of the NBA. We're moving over to the MLB because, again, spring training is back. It is here, and we have some things to cover, some news that has been going around. Some of it has been out for a little bit, so you may already have heard about it, but I wanted to talk about it here nonetheless. And really, there are a few types of... I'm not going to say drama. I mean, it kind of is, I suppose, but... Overall, it's just a lot of things that we see in the MLB all the time. First off, Jacob deGrom may not be having the dream start to his Rangers career that he thought he would uh, as he's picked up a slight injury. He's picked up a slight injury to his left side. He said there's been some tension in that side for a few days now. However, it might not be as bad as it looks. He said that he was throwing from home still. He hadn't 
stopped throwing during that time. Uh, he pretty much just stopped throwing because the training staff at the Rangers told him to just give it a few days, let it work itself out, and understandably so, the team just paid him, what, five years, $185 million, if I remember the contract correctly. So they want to make sure that they get the best out of him, and they know his injury past. They know how injured he's gotten over these past few years so it it makes sense that they want him to just stop throwing for a few days let it work itself out hopefully he doesn't have to spend really any extra time on the injured list or coming into the season injured and he can get back on track for the start of the season hopefully he will not have to miss any time and that's what it looks like it looks like he's going to be just fine but again we'll have to wait and see what happens there all i can say is you know, I hope he starts out healthy. I was very happy to see him go to the Rangers. What the Rangers are building right now is actually really impressive. I am very excited to see what they create because overall, it looks like it's going to be a lot of fun. A lot of fun. They picked up so much pitching in the offseason. Jacob DeGrom, uh, Nathan Avaldi, Andrew Heaney. You know, there were a few other names to add to that list as well, and they went out and got some other help as well. It's just been a very, very entertaining offseason. Last offseason was great for the Rangers, too, picking up Corey Seager and Marcus Simeon. The things that they have been able to do these past couple offseasons have made this team look like a lot of fun. And some of their young prospects are starting to come up and make some noise. So it's going to be very interesting to see what the Rangers do in 2023 and especially in 2024. I'm very excited for the Rangers over these next couple of years because while I am a Yankees fan at heart, I love to see teams like this doing well. I love to see teams who have been down and out for a few years come back strong and really you know, make some noise, really have some fun and maybe make their way into the playoffs. That's one reason why I was rooting for the Orioles so hard this past season, if you remember towards the end there to get a playoff spot because they were just so much fun to watch this young staff this young unexperienced core coming up and almost making the postseason seemingly kind of out of nowhere you know obviously they had the rebuild going on for a few years but I, I, I don't think anyone really expected them to make a run at the playoffs in 2022 so the fact that they came so close was actually so much fun to watch. And that's where I'm kind of sitting with the Rangers at this point, because for the past few years, they haven't really been all that great. They really have been a struggling team. And so the fact that they've been able to put some moves together to make a name for themselves and make some noise and actually give themselves a shot here in 2023. And again, especially I feel like 2024 is going to be a huge year for them. It's going to be fun. That's all I can really say for this Rangers team. I'm really excited for what they are putting together right now. And they are not the only ones dealing with some injury concerns. The Yankees have just lost a pitcher for basically the entire year. Frankie Montas is gone pretty much for the entire season. There is a possibility that he could come back in the second half, but even that is looking unlikely as he has had to undergo shoulder surgery for an issue that stems back to last season when they first picked him up. Now, this is actually just severely disappointing. It really is because... The Yankees gave up a fair amount for Montas. We really did. Like the team gave up a fair amount, especially in Ken Waldachuk, who I am very, very disappointed we let go for someone that ended up just being completely injury prone. I loved the looks of Ken Waldachuk. I think he is going to be a great player. And the one thing I can say is 
in the athletics organization, he's going to get a chance to play. He's going to get a chance to start in the major leagues. And so he's going to get that experience. Whereas he would probably still be in the minor leagues. If he stayed with the Yankees, he'd probably still be in the minors for another year or two. But at the same time, I loved Ken Waldachuk and what he was starting to put together in the Yankees organization. And I really hoped he would come up with us. I really hoped he would come up with the Yankees in the next year or so and really make a name for himself there because I feel like he could have been a very good starter. And maybe he will. Maybe we'll get him back one day. I don't know. I don't know. But at this point, it kind of looks like the Yankees completely lost out on this trade uh, as Montas is not going to be back again until either 2024 or possibly at the best late 2023. Nestor Cortez also picked up a slight injury about a week ago, if memory serves correctly, a week or two ago, uh, had a slight hamstring injury, so he is out of the World Baseball Classic. He is starting to throw again, though. He was shut down for a little bit when he first picked up the injury, but he is starting to throw again, and hopefully he will be on schedule to start the season uh, and not be on the injured list to start out. Yankees fans can only hope so, as he has been one of the best pitchers for the team in the past year, year and a half. Moving away from injuries, though, and more into trade talks or rather free agency talks, as we have some news on what Manny Machado plans to do after the 2023 season. In an interview making a statement, he said this. Let's listen to the clip and let him say it for himself. I mean, so far this year, I'm a project, but who knows after next year? I know, uh, you know obviously the team knows where, where I stand in my situation and, you know, with Opta coming. And, you know, I think I've expressed that. I will be opting out after this year, um, you know, but I think my focus is not about 2024. I think my focus is about 2023, what I can do to this ball club, what I've done for this organization, and, you know, what we're going to continue to do here. I think we got something special here growing, and, um, you know, I don't think uh, anything's going to change. So, yeah, you know, he basically confirmed it himself. He is going to opt out of his contract with the Padres after the 2023 season, seemingly bringing these negotiations into the limelight a little bit, bringing them into the public eye a little bit. And so it's going to be very interesting to see what happens next. Machado currently on a 10-year, $300 million contract, which he signed a few years back and at the time was... Uh, basically a record-breaking deal. It was the uh, highest contract, the second highest contract at the time in the major leagues and a record-breaking contract for a free agent. But it's going to be very interesting to see what happens when he opts out. Really, in reality, I think he just wants a little bit more money from the Padres. From the looks of it, over these past couple of years, he's been able to blossom with the San Diego organization. He's absolutely blossomed. He's matured. He's become someone that the younger players can really look up to. He's become a bit of a leader. And so I can't really imagine him going anywhere else. I can't imagine him going to any other team. I think really what's going to end up happening is he's just going to opt out and get a little bit more money from the Padres. And why wouldn't he when he knows how much they offered judge, you know, the $400 million that they offered judge the contract that they offered to Trey Turner when they were trying to pick him up, you know, they've offered these players tons of money. Hugh Darvish was just given a, a huge contract to pitch until, you know, according to the contract, he'd be pitching till he's 45. So, why wouldn't Machado opt out and try to get a bit more money? He knows what's going on in the market in the MLB right now. He knows what these free agents are getting, especially for his level of talent and skill and what he can bring to a team. So 
honestly, I think he's really just trying to get a little bit more money out of the Padres, and I think he will get it. I don't think the Padres want to lose him. There's no way. He's given them so much over these past couple of years. Why would they give him up? I absolutely expect him to re-sign after the 2023 season. But according to Machado, that's not something that he's really going to think about right now. As he said in that clip, he wants to focus on the season. And you really hope that that's true. You really hope that he's going to put his best foot forward and really play for the team this year as he has these past couple of seasons. On the same front, still talking about trades here or free agents rather, Mike Trout is going to do everything he can to keep Shohei Otani in Anaheim. He said it himself, and you can listen to it right here. He's just, he's got to do what's right for him and uh, what he feels right. You know, that's all up to him. Um, you know, if he feels that staying in Anaheim is, is the right move, you know, he, sh- he should do that. And if, you know, he thinks otherwise, it's uh, I'm going to do as much as I can to, you know, try to convince him to stay. So, you know, he's got to really sit down and think about it. Uh, it's a big decision for him. It's probably the biggest one of his life. You know, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's a difficult decision because it's for, for him. So what's cool about this is that Trout recognizes and he, and he says outright that it's really a decision that Shohei has to make, a, a huge decision that he has to make. What is going to be best for his future? What is going to be best for him moving forward? Is it going to be going to someone like the Dodgers or the Yankees or the Mets? Or is it going to be staying with the Angels and helping them build a dynasty, helping them build you know possibly a very, very good team in the next couple of years, what's going to be best for him? And Trout absolutely recognizes this, says it outright, but also says, hey, I'm going to do everything I can to keep him in Anaheim. I'm going to do all I can to keep him part of the Angels. And that's something that you love to hear if you are an Angels fan uh, and really a casual baseball fan because watching Trout and Otani play together is absolutely magical. It is such an awesome thing to watch. And to be honest, I hope he stays with the Angels. It's hard to imagine Otani going somewhere else. Yes, would I love him on the Yankees? Absolutely. He would make the rotation more star-studded than it already is. But at the end of the day, I think it would just be absolutely wonderful to see him and Trout stay on that Angels team and finally, finally build a team worthy of the playoffs, finally build a team worthy of going deep into the postseason. It would be absolutely incredible. He's going to be offered a lot of money by teams like the Mets, who have Steve Cohen as an owner, who is obviously not shy about spending money for huge players. He offered Correa a ton of money before they backed out of that deal. They He hasn't been afraid to open up the wallet and pay for amazing players to try and build the ultimate team. So he's probably going to be right there offering Shohei a lot of money. There, there's no doubt about that. I'm sure the Dodgers will as well. The Yankees will probably put in an offer. But at the end of the day, I want him to stay with the Angels. I think it would be absolutely incredible for baseball if that were to happen. But we'll just have to wait and see what happens on that front. There's still a lot of time left again. There's still an entire season to be played before any of that starts coming into the conversation. So we'll just have to wait and find out. The Angels might already have a good enough team to grab a wildcard spot. Probably not first place in that division because, well, the Astros still exist. But they might have an actually good enough team. Knock on wood. Let's not get too hasty here because the last time we all said that was last year and we saw what happened. (laughs) So let's not get too hasty on this, but 
the Angels did a lot in the offseason to just build a more solid team. So let's see if they have enough to grab a wild card spot here in the AL West. But finally, I want to talk about Andrew Painter. And if you don't know who this kid is, watch out. Look him up because he is looking absolutely incredible and looks like he's going to be the next pitching superstar and the first teenager to start in the major leagues since Julio Urias of the Dodgers in 2016. He is the Phillies' number one prospect and ranked sixth overall amongst prospects across the majors right now. And again, he's looking like he's going to be a part of this Phillies team come the start of the regular season. Zach Wheeler, the Phillies ace, had Painter's locker put right next to his so that he could become comfortable with some of these star players and some of these players that have been there for a while so that, you know, as a young pitcher, as a young player, if he has any questions, which he absolutely will, he can feel more comfortable about asking them. He can get to know these guys who have been doing it for a while. He can get to know some of these star players rather than being on the other side of the clubhouse for them like prospects normally are during spring training. And it's going to be absolutely incredible for this kid. 19 currently, turns 20 on April 10th. So if he does make the team and starts before April 10th, which he absolutely would in that case, he'll become the first teenager to start for the Phillies since Mark Davis in 1980. That's absolutely crazy. Incredible. That's crazy. About 40, what, 43 years, if my math serves correctly, and I think it does. Um, 20, 43 years, 43 years since a teenager has started for the Phillies. And again, the first in the majors since Julio Arias of the Dodgers in 2016. I have high hopes for this kid. I am so excited to see what he can do. I've heard about Andrew Painter over the past year or so, year or two, and it looks like he's going to be incredible. And the fact that he's getting a legitimate shot to be the Phillies opening day fifth starter, that is awesome. I'm so excited to see what he can do. I hope he grabs that spot. I really hope that he does well. I'm very excited. And this is just one example of some of the amazing stories that are coming out of spring training. Some of the prospects that we are seeing that could make the opening day rosters for their clubs. It's going to be such a fun spring training. One of the most fun I think we've had in a while. I'm just so looking forward to it. Baseball's back. Baseball is back. And I am here for it. But that is the end of today's episode, you guys. I hope you guys had fun with this one. I know I did. This has been a great time. We'll be back here tomorrow morning, Chris and myself, for an Idiots in the News. We will then be back on Friday with a news episode to round out your work week. But until tomorrow morning, you guys, have a great continuation of your week. I can't say start of the week. It's Tuesday. So have a great continuation of your week. Have an amazing Tuesday. Bye, guys. Bye, guys.